Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 330, and today we are talking about books being released on September 28th, 2021, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Patricia LZ Tuttle, and we're coming to you from BookRiot.com. Patricia, hello! Hi, Liberty! How's it going? It's going all right. Work has been like super duper busy, and I don't know why. There's just so many meetings, and so I am happy to just be like chatting about books with you and not at my day job right now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and we almost weren't because your internet wasn't working, which is sad. (laughs) And since I work from home and my wife works from home sometimes, um, yeah, it's been an adventure lately. But hey, I have learned how to hotspot my phone. So yay for learning new things, I guess. Is your is it because your wife is standing on the roof, like holding your phone up, like with one leg in the air? Like yeah, she has a little old rabbit ear and tinfoil hat on. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would not have the first idea how to do that. Our internet usually stays on for the most part, but for some reason. Every night, like if I'm watching TV, like really, really late at night, for some reason, the internet goes out at the same time every night. And I'm like, what are they doing? Is this like a bump in something? Like, are they resetting something? But like, it's like between two and three every night. It just goes out for a minute and comes back. And it's so strange. It's the internet telling you to go to sleep. (laughs) (laughs) Probably. My husband's in the other room unplugging it and plugging it back in. He's like, come on. Time to go. Oh, well, let's see. Everything is okay here. We seem to have gotten a very late hatching of stink bugs. So there are stink bugs all over the outside of the house. Oh, no. And they like to jump on your back and like try to hitch a ride with you inside. So there are just stink bugs everywhere, which usually happens like at the beginning of the summer. So I don't know what's going on. So those are annoying. The cats are going bananas. You know, like just they're all over the inside of the house. They're all over the windows. Mm -hmm. The cats are going crazy. See, last week I had to take a very long road trip in which I screamed along with Cookie Monster Rock for like six hours and completely <laughs> lost my voice. It's like at 95% now, but the other day I had to go to the vet on Monday and for a regular checkup, not for me, for the cat. And I didn't even think about it. And so I walked in and they were like, oh, you know, who are you dropping off? And I was like, ah, ah, ah. and they all looked at me. I was like, oh. Oh, you know, like trying to explain. I'm like, I'm not sick. I'm not sick. Yeah. I was like, I just got a little carried away with the cannibal corpse. It's all fine. (laughs) You know, like, because it was like so metal. I lost my voice. I was like, I thought it was hilarious. My husband didn't think it was as funny, but I was like, whatever. And he's like, how are you going to record a podcast? I'm like, ooh. I got five days to to get it together. together. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so it's just like a little like, but mostly it's okay. I don't mind. I feel 
Recently, so I have really cultivated a relationship with the bookshop in our neighborhood, uh, especially mm-hmm. during the pandemic, because I just like email them like, I want this book. And they're like, okay, I'll order it. Yeah. And so the other day we went into the store and the on-site owner, I feel like I've I've like leveled up in some way because mm-hmm. they were like, you know... I would trust you and your wife to spend the night in the bookstore. (laughs) (gasps) What brought that on? I don't know. They were on a massive lack of sleep. Um, So Uh, maybe it was... Challenge accepted! Maybe it was that. Yeah, but my wife is like, we live a block away, and maybe we could just read in our own bed. And I was like, no, think of everything we could do. Yeah. Uh, Before we continue this talk, we are going to hear from a sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Gallery Books. So Anna Green thought she was marrying Liam West for access to subsidized family housing while at UCLA, which is an interesting reason to marry someone, but you know, in this economy. So anyway, she signed divorce papers when the graduation caps were tossed and she thought she was done at She wasn't. Three years later, Anna is a starving artist living paycheck to paycheck while West is a Stanford professor. Now, he is part of a conglomerate. His family owns this mega grocery store chain. He's not interested in working for them, but he is interested in those greenbacks, honey, that come in the form of a $100 million inheritance. To get it, he has to be married for five years. That's where our girl Anna comes back into play. So the two will fake a marriage, but as he gets to know her and gets to appreciate the feisty, foul mouth, paint splattered girl that she is, he'll begin to wonder if the money is worth the love of his life. Pick up The Paradise Problem by Christina Lauren to find out if it is. And thanks again to Gallery Books for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Sourcebooks Landmark. So King Solomon says something very interesting to his son before he dies, and that is, quote, don't let the white man take the house, end quote. These, as I just mentioned, are King Solomon's last words to his son as he dies. Now, all four Solomon siblings must return to North Carolina to save the kingdom, their ancestral home, and 200 acres of land from a development company. Told in alternating viewpoints, Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris is a searing portrait of the power of family and letting go of things that no longer serve you, exploring the burden of familial expectations, the detriment of miscommunication, and the lessons and legacies we pass on to our children. It's an explosive and emotional story of four siblings, each fighting their own personal battle, because who isn't, who return home in the wake of their father's death. Make sure to check out Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris. And thanks again to Sourcebooks Landmark for sponsoring this episode. As someone who has spent nights in bookstores before, it's kind of like I'm just sitting here reading as opposed to reading, you know, at home. (laughs) Yeah, in the comfort of my home. You know, maybe if it was like a haunted bookstore, you know, if something was going on. Right. 
you know, something exciting. But I used to hold uh, 24-hour readathons in the bookstore where I worked, and we'd get like seven or eight people who were like, yeah, I'm going to sleep overnight in this bookstore. And I do remember this one time where um, we had a special guest. We had like special guests come in, like authors and stuff, um, local authors, and they would read to us. And this guy wanted to come in in the middle of the night, and he was reading us this very serious poem about this relationship that he had with his dad, which was not good. And it was the not the poem, the relationship. And it was very serious and very sad. And in the middle of it, one of the people who was there start fell asleep and they started snoring <gasps> so loudly and people started giggling. And he was at the front of the store, so he couldn't hear the person snoring really. So he thought they were laughing at him. It was terrible. I felt so bad. And I always think about that when I think about people sleeping <laughs> in bookstores. Oh my gosh, that's so awkward. But we explained to him, we're like, they weren't laughing at you. They were just laughing at the person who was like sawing logs behind the couch. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's pretty funny. But yeah, I mean, there's nothing like, why not, you know, read in a bookstore, you know, overnight. Although my cats would be like, <clears throat> excuse me, <laughs> like, why are you there instead of here? But, right. You know, it's pretty cool. It's very quiet. I mean, that's true. Yeah, that's true. And the other thing is that maybe you wouldn't know it was haunted until you spent the night in it. Like, maybe you would mm. discover that there was, like, the ghost of some local author, like, reshelving books in the middle of the night. <laughs> if it was a local author, most likely they'd be taking, like, copies of their own book and, like, putting it on the table. <laughs> like, that's what that's what their ghost would do. <laughs> Can you imagine? And, like, hiding, yes. hiding <laughs> books of their enemies yeah yeah like turning them like turning the faces around just like they did in life (laughs) exactly exactly why not why not continue that into the afterlife i mean isn't that what like most ghosts do really they just like continue to do the things that they used to do because they don't realize they're dead that seems like the premise of a lot of ghost stories like i'm just gonna show up at this time every day and do these things now i want a haunted bookstore so i guess my ghost is gonna be super boring because they're going to be like, oh, there's that lady who sits there and reads and then disappears. <laughs> right? Can you imagine your ghost just, like, shows up at a cubicle at your old job or something? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> I like ghost stories. And it's, you know, it's time for ghost stories because it's, you know, almost Halloween. Or it's like a month away, but it still counts. As soon as summer is over, it's Halloween Close time. Close enough, yeah. As, as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely. Yeah. So, let's see. All right, we talked about ghosts, which is fun, and now I am going to talk about my first pick, which is probably the book everyone is thinking about today. It is Cloud Cuckoo Land by Anthony Doerr. Anthony Doerr won the Pulitzer Prize for All the Light We Cannot See uh, for fiction many years ago. I have never actually read him. I think I was still working at the bookstore when All the Light We Cannot See came out, And everyone in the store had read it. So I felt like, well, you know, I should read some other things so I can talk about different things. And I always meant to read it, but I I never got around to it. And I still mean to read it. Story of my life. I have it here somewhere, and someday I will read it. So I've never read him before. This is my first experience with Anthony Doerr. Uh, This book was just long-listed for the National Book Award for Fiction. And it turns out, when they first announced this book, and I looked it up online, there are a ton of books called Cloud Cuckoo Land, because it's a thing. I had never heard of it before. But according to Merriam-Webster's dictionary, Cloud Cuckoo Land is a realm of fantasy or of whimsical or foolish behavior. So it's kind of like an imagination, a place in your imagination. And I 
don't really want to tell you what this book is about. <laughs> I don't want to tell you anything about it because I feel like it'll spoil it for you. So I'm just going to stick with mostly what we know from the, the jacket description. But it's just beautiful and magical and sad and lovely and so full of incredible descriptions. I saw him talk about it a few months ago. And he was so compelling and interesting. And he loves readers. He loves booksellers. He loves librarians. And it was just so great to listen to him. I was like, I definitely have to read this right away. Now, the novel takes place in three different times. Not like in three different parts. It takes place in many, 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 many parts. Uh, But not in a way that's distracting, I don't think. But it takes place in three different times. It takes place in the past in Constantinople, which, as a They Might Be Giants fan, that song has been stuck in my head for months now. And every time I think about this book, then it gets stuck in my head again, the Constantinople song. If you know what I'm talking about, you know it, and now it's stuck in your head too, you're welcome. But it takes place in Constantinople in the 1400s, where there is a young orphaned girl named Anna. She is a dreamer, she is working on embroidery, she works on embroidery for the local priests, that's basically like what her job is. And uh, Anna teaches herself how to read, and she ends up reading the story of Athon, a boy who wishes he were a bird. And while this is happening, the siege of Constantinople occurs, and there is also a young boy outside the walls who's destined to cross paths with Anna. With Anna, uh, it also takes place in present day in Idaho. There is a man named Zeno who is in his eighties, and he is helping a group of children put on a play about the story of Athon in their local library. And so we've got this, you know, sort of connection to the first part because it's the story of Athon. Now Zeno learned Greek as a prisoner of war. And he's teaching it to the kids, and he's teaching them this story. And during a snowstorm, they're having a practice run of the play. But what they don't know is that a teenager named Seymour has planted a bomb in the backpack in the shelves of the library. Now, in the future, there is a young woman named Constance. She is alone on a ship. Well, sort of alone on a ship. She has AI that is sort of sentient, talks to her, asks her if she wants to eat, asks her what she needs, does all these things. But... As far as humans, it's just her in this room. And she is busy writing down what she remembers of the story of Athon, which her father told her when she was young. This novel is about the power of stories, about the lasting power of stories, about how books help us and heal us. He dedicated the book to librarians everywhere. Um, I loved all the characters in this book. I loved how much they love stories and reading. I really feel like the characters are the strongest part of this book. He's I cannot compare it to anything else he's written, but just going off this, I feel like characters are his strong suit. Um, And like I said, the story is told in these short bursts that go from all different times. It's, I didn't find it hard to follow. I love books that do that. Um, And it's told in multiple points of view. Uh, I know for some people, it got to be a little much at times because it does jump around a lot, but I thought it was excellent. The book is going to make you happy and it's going to break your heart. I was a little surprised to see it on the National Book Award list. Not because it's not good, but I don't know. I just didn't expect to see that. But it's so entertaining and moving, which is what good books are. I mean, if you love David Mitchell or Margaret Atwood or wonderful winding stories, this is a book for you. I do want to give content warnings for mentions of illness, death of a loved one, animal death, violence, war, terrorism, and suicide. This is Cloud Cuckoo Land by Anthony Doerr. For my first pick, I have Feeding the Soul Because It's My Business, Finding Our Way to Joy, Love, and Freedom by Tabitha Brown. Some quick content warnings for parental death, diet pills, and diet culture, and ableism. 
This book was a deviation from the books I usually read. Sometimes I like to read books that are out of my comfort zone because I have the idea that it's good for me in some way. The author is spiritual in ways that I am not, and there are discussions of things like psychic ability and a devoted belief in God, and God plays a role throughout this book. Not my thing, but like I said, I feel it's good for me to read books outside of my comfort zone, and I wanted to share this book with you all because there are also a lot of things in this book that are squarely in my wheelhouse. Tabitha Brown is an actress, an online influencer, a vegan, and has been referred to as America's mom. She is incredibly charming and charismatic. I listened to this book on audiobook and her voice is just like a warm blanket on a crisp autumn day. You could just wrap yourself up in it. So lovely. This book is memoir, it's inspirational, it's self-improvement, and it's also vegan recipes. I love that she explicitly doesn't give measurements for the ingredients in the recipes. She says if you always need a recipe for everything you cook, it's because you don't trust yourself. So let's trust ourselves. I don't know if I agree with that all the time, but I absolutely agree if a recipe calls for like two cloves of garlic. Like what? It's a six clove minimum in this household. I don't care if it says a pinch of garlic, six cloves or more. This book is also incredibly refreshingly honest, and I really appreciate her frankness. She is clear about what she believes and how she relates to the world around us. She is also clear that your business is your business. She is an advocate for minding our own business, and I love that. I cannot applaud that enough. Brown talks about doing things her own way and that we all have different paths. Just because you see a person achieve something that you want to achieve, and you may get there, but you may not take the same steps on the way, and that's okay. She talks about taking care of her mom when she was deteriorating due to ALS. She also writes about raising her children. I love her stories about growing up in North Carolina, and she writes about how hard things were when she followed her dream to California the first time and then the second time. One of the things she preaches that I'm also fully behind is the idea of staying ready so you don't have to get ready. That is, hone your skills in your craft. Keep doing the thing you love and learning and improving so that if and when an opportunity shows up, you're ready for it and don't have to scramble to get ready. This book was so refreshing and optimistic and, yes, different from my usual reads. It's Feeding the Soul Because It's My Business, Finding Our Way to Joy, Love, and Freedom by Tabitha Brown. I'm excited that you mentioned garlic because you're going to be really excited about one of my other books coming up, I think. Ooh. Yeah. But right now, we're going to talk about another book that I love so much. I read this book so long ago, I cannot actually believe it's time to talk about it now. It just feels like it was never going to be time. And now it's here! I'm so excited. It's The Matzo Ball by Jean Meltzer. This is such a charming, funny romance novel. I love it to pieces. It actually made me, like, guffaw, which is not a thing that I normally do when I'm reading a book. I I think the only word I could use for what happened was guffaw. So, it's so great. The main characters is Rachel Rubenstein Goldblatt, and she has a secret. 
She is the best-selling author of a series of Christmas romance novels. Now, she writes them under a pseudonym because she is the daughter of one of New York's most respected rabbis, and she's certain that her parents would not approve of their Jewish daughter's love of Christmas. And she loves Christmas, loves Christmas. Like, she has a whole room in her apartment decorated to the brim with Christmas decorations and Christmas trees and a train set, like, year-round. And she goes in there, and that's, like, her happy place. And so she's been keeping this secret, and it's been paying very well. These books do really, really well. And she's been doing it for years now. She lives in a fabulous Manhattan apartment, and she works from home, which is very helpful because she has a chronic illness that makes it hard for her to get out sometimes. And now it's it's nearing the holidays again, and her publisher wants to meet with her, and she's all excited because, yay, new contract, new books, write some more Christmas romances, woohoo! And instead, her publisher tells her that her last few books didn't do very well, and they've decided... They're not going to sign another contract for Christmas romances. What they want from her this time is a Hanukkah romance. And now, first, Rachel is distressed. She's She loves Christmas. She's, a, you know, what is romantic and magical about Hanukkah? She can't think of anything. And she's really upset. But she needs the contract and she needs the money. And then she hears about an event called the Matzah Ball which is this fancy charity event that's held on the last night of Hanukkah. And she thinks, well, this this might be where I could find some like romantic inspiration for these new books. I'm going to try to go to this and see what I can do. But there's some big problems. One, it's sold out. Two, the matzo ball is the creation of Jacob Greenberg, the boy who broke Rachel's heart at summer camp when she was 10 years old. So she's like, ugh. But... She really needs inspiration if she's going to continue writing books for her publisher. So she's like, you know what? I'm going to let the past be the past. I'm going to interact with Jacob as little as I have to. And she asks him for a ticket. And he says, you know, no, seriously, it's sold out. I'm very sorry. But we do have a couple of tickets set aside for volunteers. If you agree to come in for the week before the event and help us set up and do all these odd jobs and things that we need done, you can have a ticket. And so she agrees. But the more time that she spends with Jacob, the more, you know, feelings return. But then so do more misunderstandings and some wacky hijinks. I love some wacky hijinks, you know. And so will these two ever get together? Will they ever solve their problems? You know, will they get their their Hanukkah romance? So like I said, this book is so delightful. It's so much fun. I love Rachel. She's smart and she's funny and she takes no guff from anybody. This is an own voices novel. Meltzer also has myalgic encephalomyelitis, which or which is known used to be known as chronic fatigue syndrome. Um, and this book does a great job imparting information about the illness, uh, as well as having Rachel explain like what it is like for her to live with it. And Meltzer includes a section at the end of the book where she talks about uh, what the illness is. I do want to point out that it's Rachel who is disappointed in Hanukkah in the book, not the author, like because. You know, sometimes the grass is always greener and Christmas is shoved down our throats. So, of course, it's always like Christmas, Christmas, Christmas. And she doesn't celebrate Christmas. And so it's like her personal feelings about Hanukkah. And I also love that the conflict between Rachel and Jacob when they were young felt real. Like sometimes I feel like in romance novels, they have to like force something to split the couple up. And it's not always great. But I felt like it was very realistic. And I just loved it. It's so funny. There's an amazing scene that involves a matzo ball costume, and Rachel's idea of a therapist is 
a scream. So, and oh, I love Jacob's Bubby. I loved this book so much. Have I mentioned that? Oh, it's so fun and charming. And it's wonderful for readers year round. I do want to give a content warning for mentions of chronic illness, cancer, and loss of a parent. It's The Matzo Ball by Jane Meltzer. I cannot wait to read this book. Oh, it's adorable. So much fun. I want to see it on the screen right now. <laughs> right now. Um, I have something completely different for my next book. <laughs> Take it away. <laughs> my next pick is The Wake Up, Closing the Gap Between Good Intentions and Real Change by Michelle Mijung Kim. Each chapter in this book has content warnings, and so I'm not going to list them all, but some of the big ones are racism, specifically anti-Asian and anti-Black, sexual assault, mental illness, and corporal punishment. This book is an absolute must-read for anyone who is doing DEI work, DEI as in diversity, equity, inclusion, either professionally, but also just in your life as a contributing member of society. Personally, I am doing a lot professionally at my organizations. I'm on a lot of working groups and committees and also, as always, in my personal life. And after some tough conversations these past couple of weeks, this book is right on time. So much of DEI work consists of well-meaning people with privilege and power who do not know what to do. So they look to those of us in more marginalized groups and ask what to do, what to say, etc. The author runs a DEI consulting company with a social justice lens and helps companies and organizations do this work. So this book is an absolute gift that focuses on laying the groundwork necessary for transformative DEI work, as well as how to turn those good intentions into actual actions. I kept highlighting things and then I'd get to the end of the page and I would look and I'd practically have highlighted like multiple pages. There are so many standout discussions in this book, but I'm going to highlight a few that were especially compelling. First, which is a recurring theme and is something I've written about in my newsletter, is this idea of comfort and how some people with privilege conflate being uncomfortable with being unsafe. This shows up multiple times, but there's a whole amazing section asking what you're willing to give up for this work. A lot of people don't realize, like, to do this work, you have to make sacrifices. Are you willing to give up your comfort and call someone out on their racist jokes? Are you willing to give up your seat at the table to allow space from someone for someone from a marginalized group? Are you willing to pay more money to buy something from a small local business instead of a big corporation? Are you willing to give up sentimental things or traditions like gender reveal parties or Dr. Seuss? I immediately thought of the death grip that some people have on Harry Potter. This book is going to make a lot of people uncomfortable. Honestly, there were definitely parts that made me self-reflect and I had to sit with my own discomfort. Which reminds me of another section where she talks about this idea of sitting with your feelings. Now, if you have never gone to therapy, or maybe even if you have, you may not actually know what sitting with your feelings entails, 
or how to do it. And she walks readers through it, which itself is worth the price of admission. I could go on and on about this book. Like I said, it's an absolute must read. It's The Wake Up, Closing the Gap Between Good Intentions and Real Change by Michelle Mijong Kim. All right. My next pick is also a work of nonfiction. It is Please Don't Sit on My Bed in Your Outside Clothes, Essays by Phoebe Robinson. Been waiting so long for this book. It's so good. You might recognize Phoebe Robinson's name from Two Dope Queens. She now has a new podcast called Black Fraser, which sounds hilarious. I was not aware of it until I read this book. I can't wait to listen. And this is her third book of essays. She had Everything's Trash But It's Okay and You Can't Touch My Hair and Other Things I Still Have to Explain, both of which I think we've talked about on the podcast. I did remember as I was reading this that there was something in the first book about a tortoise that made both me and Rebecca do a spit take. So now I need to go back and read that because I can't remember what it was. I'm pretty sure it was filthy and we couldn't repeat it on the show though. Uh, So it's going to be great. So this is actually uh, Robinson's first book published under her own imprint, Tiny Reparations. And she's in the colophon on the spine. Like there's a little cartoon of her holding up books, which is pretty awesome. I mean, hey, if you're going to have your own imprint, like why not be like in the colophon? If you're familiar with her, you know that she's a hilarious genius. If you're not familiar with her, you're going to find out that she's a hilarious genius. These are all new essays, but I will say they are more serious than her last couple of collections. But we are also living in more serious times. Uh, She's older. She has learned more. She's in a serious relationship that's been going on for several years. uh, And she's also writing this book during 2020. And the first essay is about how she thought 2020 was going to be her big year. According to her astrologists, like 2020 numerically is like a significant number and a great number. And she thought it was going to be a great year. Her boyfriend moved in. He's from England and she calls him British Bay Cough, which is pretty hilarious. Uh, And they were going to like have this great time, go to events and restaurants and they were going to travel and they were going to meet parents. And then, you know, of course, the coronavirus had different plans for everyone last year. And so she talks about, like, what that's like. And there's also a really great essay. This is probably my favorite essay in the book about a woman's right to choose to not have children. How the idea that women who choose not to have children are selfish, are not doing their job for humankind, is still a loud and persistent problem in society. And how women who choose not to have children are made to feel about that and why that's wrong. I thought that was excellent. She also talks about her parents who sounds really awesome and chill, uh, and what she learned from them. She discusses her love of U2, the band. Uh, Not you, although if she met you, maybe. But she talks about the band. She talks about her experiences as a black woman traveling in the UK, uh, the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, and more thoughts on her hair. And even more stuff. I mean, she's she's got all kinds of things going on, and she's amazing. Um, Like I said, it's more serious, but it's still really funny. She also uses footnotes, which are my favorite tool for telling more jokes. I love, like, footnote jokes. Because you don't, like, interrupt what you're saying, but then you can also, like, squeeze in a couple more zingers. Um, She does abbreviate a lot of words. Like, I don't know if that's how she speaks normally or if, you know, she did it for this book. But she, like, breaks off in the middle of a lot of words, uh, and it does take a bit of getting used to at first. But then it's kind of hilarious. I also had to look up several things she mentioned, pop culture 
references because I'm so out of the loop these days. I watch Jeopardy. It's like Jeopardy. And they mention all these musicians and actors and like movies and television shows. And I'm like, what? And even my husband is like, you don't know that person? You don't know that person? I'm like, I've never heard of this person. I'm, I feel so out of the loop. So I did have to look some things up. But if you want something smart and funny with lots of food for thought, pick up Please Don't Sit on My Bed in Your Outside Clothes, Essays by Phoebe Robinson. Okay, we're going to interrupt the hilarity and the book talk for a moment and hear from another sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Harper Muse, publisher of Troubled Waters. Troubled Waters is an intimate portrait of two generations, a granddaughter and a grandmother, coming to terms with what it means to be family, Black women, and alive in a world on fire. In heartfelt lyrical prose, Mary Inez Hegler weaves an unforgettable story of the climate crisis, Black resistance, and the enduring power of family. Narrated by Janice Abbott-Pratt and written by climate justice writer Mary Anise Hegler, the Troubled Waters audiobook is available everywhere May 7th. It follows Corinne as she plans to stage a dramatic act of resistance and peels back the scabs of her family wounds and puts her safety in jeopardy. Both grandmother and granddaughter must bring their unspoken secrets into the light to find a path to healing. Known for her essays that dissect and interrogate the climate crisis, drawing heavily on her personal experience as a black woman with deep roots in the South, Mary Inez Hegler brings us her first work of fiction titled Troubled Waters. Make sure to pick it up. Thanks again to Harper Muse, publisher of Troubled Waters, for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Avid Reader Press. So this next book is a really fun sounding mashup of different genres. There's a little time travel, a little romance, a little spy thriller action going on. So in the near future, a civil servant is offered the salary of her dreams and is shortly afterward told what project she'll be working on. A recently established government ministry is gathering quote unquote expats from across history to establish whether time travel is feasible for the body, but also for the fabric of space time. This is an exquisitely original and feverishly fun fusion of genres and ideas. The Ministry of Time by Colleen Bradley asks, what does it mean to defy history when history is living in your house? Colleen Bradley's answer is a blazing, unforgettable testament to what we owe each other in a changing world. It kind of gives Outlander meets Cloud Atlas or If the Time Traveler's Rife was written by Sally Rooney or Colson Whitehead. Make sure to check out The Ministry of Time by Colleen Bradley. And thanks again to Avid Reader Press for sponsoring this episode. All right, Patricia, what do you have next? For my next pick, I have Stray Dogs by Tony Fleeks and Trish Forstner. With Brad Simpson, Tony Rodriguez, Lauren Perry, Lauren Herda, and Gabriella Downey. This book came out last week, and it's the trade of all five issues of the Stray Dogs comic. Major content warnings for harm to animals, specifically dogs, graphic awful harm to dogs, and also murder, and also human murder. It is really important that you heed these warnings because this is a comic. So this is all illustrated and it is disturbing, especially because the artist has worked a lot on the My Little Pony Friendship is Magic comics. So the dogs are super cute and you could easily be misled by cute dogs. I've mentioned before, I don't 
read a lot of horror. I don't know why I picked up this book because on the cover even, Forbes describes it as what you get when you crossbreed Silence of the Lambs with All Dogs Go to Heaven. It is dark. I don't know how many times I could say that. Dark, dark, dark. But also, I couldn't put it down. I was so enthralled by the horror of it. I don't think I blinked the whole time I read it. We start with Sophie, who looks like she's a papillon breed. She, like many other small dogs, is fairly skittish, and she's at the veterinary clinic with her owner. We don't see her owner's face, but we see her body from the neck down, her outfit, her purse, etc. Which is true for the humans in this book. Most of the time, we almost never see the humans' faces. It's very, like, dog-focused and, like, dog-point-of-view-focused. Anyway, Sophie is at the vet and getting her Bordetella shot and her owner is saying to the vet that Sophie wouldn't stop trembling and she imagines Sophie remembers getting a shot last time that they were there and the vet reassures her that basically dogs don't have much long-term memory and she'll forget she ever had a shot. And this idea that dogs don't have much long-term memory is key to this story as it's told mostly from Sophie's point of view. In fact, after the vet, suddenly Sophie's brain brought into a room in a house by a man and there are a bunch of other dogs there. She's terrified and doesn't know where she is and doesn't remember anything. The leader dog, Rusty, introduces himself and the other dogs of all different breeds. Then they bring her around the house. Seems as though the man who brought her in, who they refer to as the master, is a hunter. There is taxidermy everywhere. They bring her upstairs, point out the bathroom, the bedroom, and the master's private room he keeps locked. The dogs figure it's probably because that's where he keeps treats, so they're not allowed in there. Um, There's a very strict rule. Sophie has a trauma response when she sees this door and she pees on the floor. She doesn't know why. Later on, during dinner, Sophie is hiding under an end table next to a sofa and shivering. The master sees her and bundles her up in a red scarf. Sophie sniffs the scarf and suddenly she remembers. It's it's her lady's scarf. She remembers everything. She remembers what happened to her lady and it's bad. And now she has to convince the other dogs what's going on and try to get the heck out of there. I'm going to say this one more time. This story is dark. So if you're into that kind of thing, it's really good. If you're looking for something cute because there's a cute dog on the front, this is not that. It's Stray Dogs by Tony Fleeks and Trish Forstner with Brad Simpson, Tony Rodriguez, Lauren Perry, Lauren Herda, and Gabriella Downey. Oh, I kind of want to read that, but also I don't, but I do, and you made me want to read it more. I can send you my copy because I told my wife that she's not allowed to read it. I was like, this is not (laughs) for, I was like, this is not for Nicole's. I'm going to put it in the pile of books that need to leave the apartment. <laughs> so. Oh, yeah, no. I don't want it in my apartment. In my apartment? What do I, where do I live? Where I, do you live? I was like, oh, you have an apartment now? <laughs> <laughs> Shh, don't tell my husband. I do have I do have an e-galley of it, but I, I haven't been brave enough to open it. But maybe we'll see what happens. 
So this is the book that I want to talk about now is the book that I was excited to tell you about, Patricia, because it is called Garlic and the Vampire Yay! by Brie Paulson, in which garlic is an actual character in this middle grade comic, which <laughs> I loved so much. It's set in a village with a witch named Agnes. And Agnes, the witch, has brought vegetables in her garden to life. Like, she has made her own little family of helpers, and they're all sentient, and they all grow their own vegetables, like, garlic grows a garden of garlic, except this is not, like, sentient garlic, they're not alive, so it's kind of like unfertilized chicken eggs, like, don't worry, she's not eating, like, little alive garlics or selling them at the market. And each, you know, there's celery and carrots and and leeks and all kinds of other vegetables, and they each have their own, their own garden of their own stuff that they make. Also, I think I forgot to warn you that uh, I was really excited to write this review and I've added a whole bunch of vegetable puns. So sorry, not sorry, in advance. So anyway, we have Garlic. Garlic is the main character in this book and Garlic is kind of clumsy and she oversleeps sometimes on market day and she's lacking in self-confidence. And it doesn't help that Celery is really mean to her. He's always picking on her. He won't leave her alone. She, he thinks that she's a dim bulb. So... Like I said, they work the farmer's market each weekend, and this one weekend, they see smoke coming from the abandoned castle on the hill while they're at the farmer's market. And Agnes tells them a story of how, a hundred years ago, a vampire supposedly lived in that castle, but he's been gone for a really long time. And now everyone is really worried, because what if it's the vampire again? Because they live forever, and they're vegetables, but the most of the village is populated by humans, and what if this vampire has this evil plan and he's going to come down and he's going to eat all the humans, and they're going to have to save them, right? Now, Celery, the big jerk, thinks Garlic should go check it out. Because, one, he's scared of the vampire and worried he will stalk him. And also, he knows that vampires supposedly hate Garlic, so Garlic is obviously the right choice to go, like, check it out. And now, Garlic is afraid. She's like, what if, what if it's not true? What if vampires do like Garlic? What... How do you know for certain? But everyone else now is like, yeah, yeah, Celery has a great idea. Garlic should go investigate and find out what's going on with the vampire. Now, Garlic doesn't have a lot of self-confidence, but Agnes thinks Garlic has real potential. She's told her that, you know, she thinks she could someday bring other vegetables to life and make more vegetable friends. And she sees the potential in Garlic that Garlic doesn't see in herself. As does her best friend, Carrot, who really believes in her. So, so Carrot believes in her and Agnes believes in her and she wants to show them that she can do something. So Garlic says yes. She will go stake out the vampire and help save their skins. So even though Garlic wants to beat it out of there. Oh my god, I'm so embarrassed. This is getting so bad. Why are uh, you but- why are you like this? <laughs> Who hurt you? <laughs> Sorry, it was so much fun. Um so Garlic is gonna go check out the vampire. This comic is a middle grade comic, but it is appealing to all ages. It's super adorable. Uh, When the vegetables curse or get scared, they say, oh, grapes, which is hilarious. Uh, And it has an important message about believing in yourself and not making assumptions about people before you meet them. It's everything that I wanted from that other middle grade vampire hunter graphic novel that I that ultimately let me down a few months ago, um, which is just like a little like subtweet. <laughs> but it's so, so cute. And I want to remind you, as with like everything else that we talked about today, you know, we've been talking about the supply chain issues. So if you want to get this for the holidays or you want to get it for yourself, I would do it now rather than later uh, because it is adorable and it will be gone. It is Garlic and the Vampire by Brie Paulson. 
That sounds so adorable. That was fun. I was reading over my notes and I was like, I also had written like celery was a real stock in the butt. And then I was like, this is a family friendly show. Like, that <laughs> sounds really weird. So I took that out, but oh you know. My God. Anyway, it's adorable and I think everyone will love it. I couldn't help but think, like, when you mentioned this, I just think of the celery stalks at midnight. So the right? one after Banicula, is that the second one after Banicula? Yeah. I don't know. but I think so. Or is that Holiday Inn? I can't remember. I can't remember the order. But, but yes. Yeah. I totally have Banicula flashbacks the whole time I was reading this because I kept thinking of the, the vampire draining the vegetables of all their color. So Yeah, totally. So, yeah, also read Banicula. Can't recommend that enough. Okay, so for my last, I'm just like vibrating with excitement. It is Light from Uncommon Stars by Raika Aoki. Content warnings for racism, specifically anti-Asian racism, transphobia, discussion of suicide, sexism, sexual assault, and abuse. Those content warnings aside, oh my god, I loved this book. This just might be the best new book fiction that I have read this year. In fact, this book caused such a book hangover that I didn't read for three days after I finished it. I just floated on the residual joy of reading this fun, lovely, hilarious, harrowing, heartfelt book. I hadn't truly come to terms with how much I love stories about found family until this book, which I acknowledge is a theme in many queer books, but I hadn't pinpointed how much my heart loves these particular stories. All that being said, kind of how Liberty was with Cloud Cuckoo Land, I'm going to be a bit weirdly vague about this book because it's full of surprises and I don't want to ruin the joy of reading it for the first time. So I kind of don't want to tell you about it. So I'm just going to tell you some snippets about some of the characters and the location. First, it takes place in the San Gabriel Valley in Southern California. I lived in the in the San Gabriel Valley for seven years, and actually I was living there when I started writing for Book Riot. I am very familiar with the area, and it is truly a magical place once you get past the surface, and the author catches all the nuance of the eclectic yet weirdly harmonious vibe of many of the locations down there. For example, there was a restaurant I would frequent called Burger Continental. One would think that they served burgers, but no, they served like it was a Greek restaurant and there was a back patio with a belly dancer and an old guy on the accordion and it was magical. Burger Continental is not in this book, but there's something like it at some point and I'm just trying to tell you like that's the kind of vibe and area we're working with here. In this book, there is a donut shop with a huge freaking donut on top of it. It's an LA SoCal thing. So if you know, you know, huge donut. The head of the family that owns it is Lan Tran. They are actually aliens, like from space, who have escaped a big bad across the galaxy. We also have Katrina Nguyen, a transgender teen who runs away from an abusive home in the San Francisco Bay Area and ends up in the San Gabriel Valley. She has very little to her name, some clothes, some estrogen, a beat-up made-in-China violin, and does sex work both via webcam and in person to make money to survive. 
We also have Shizuka Satomi, a woman who had made a deal with the devil for some fame. She played violin. Now to escape damnation, she needs to take on seven violin students and deliver their souls to hell. As of the start of this book, she has already delivered six. And of course, they can't just be any old self-taught violinist. She travels the world looking for the final student, you know, the final soul. Yes, music is the main theme of this book, and I'm going to make a horrible pun of my own. This book hits all the right notes. There's an- Who hurt you? <laughs> you did! I learned it from watching you! Um, <laughs> there's an adorable, awkward, queer, crush, dating type thing going on. There's a young trans teen finding her voice and finding family- there's wonderful descriptions of food. There is also a chapter that I'm borderline obsessed with, where it's just a description of violin repair, but it's not just that. Just, oh, it's so good. My wife said it best when she said, last autumn, we were both obsessed with The Once and Future Witches by Alex E. Harrow. I think this book is this autumn's obsession, and it really is. It's Light from Uncommon Stars by Rika Aoki. I attended a virtual meeting with Rika a few months ago, and I have such a mad crush on her now. She's so utterly delightful. She is as delightful as this book, if not more. And I, I just love her. Yeah, I um in the insert when I got the arc, um, and also I'm sure if you if you Google her, she is going to have some uh virtual events, I think, in October. So I'm like, guess I'm going to some virtual events. Yeah. I just I'm obsessed with this book. Me too. She's so great. So those are our new books. What are you going to read next? Uh, I am I am overwhelmed by choice right now. I just started reading uh, a book titled Read This to Get Smarter about race, class, gender, disability, and more by Blair Imani, who is an online influencer and educator. I also have a copy of, Bort which comes out today, I think, Bourdain, The Definitive Oral Biography by Lori Wolliver and... I want to read it, and I don't know if my heart will ever be ready. And then, <laughs> and then I also have another another book that comes out today: uh, "Black Girls Must Die Exhausted" by Jane Allen that I hadn't gotten to yet, but I hope to soon. How about you? I think I just got the sequel to that yesterday. If that's a thing, wait, really? That sounds familiar now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I wouldn't lie about these things. Um, I'm pretty sure there's a sequel coming. It is called Black Girls Must Be Magic, and it's out in February. Huh. I knew I wasn't hallucinating. Well, then now I better read this before, like, February. <laughs> <laughs> so first up for me, I'm so excited about this, is Magic Lies and Deadly Pies by Misha Pop, which is pitched as Pushing Daisies Meets Dexter about a bisexual baker whose mission to protect wronged women by delivering... Deadly Pies to Their Abusers is Threatened by a Blackmailer from Her Past. That is the description that was pitched on Publisher's Lunch. And I was like, I need to read this the second it hits, you know, Edelweiss or Neck Alley. So, right, that title. Uh, that was last night, so I lied about reading it the second it hits it, but <laughs> I did get it. 
And I'm also, like, knee-deep in the Agent Pendergrass series, which I think I mention, like, every time now. Um, but it really scratches my X-Files itch, and I finally figured out, like, what it is that's so appealing to them, to me about them right now. It's that they're mysteries, but they're supernatural mysteries. So I love a mystery. It's like, you know, which one of these people did it? But in these, it can be anything that did it, not just any one. So I find that exciting because it's not always like, which person is it? You know, I, I was reading this thing on Goodreads recently where this woman was like talking about the last book, which has interdimensional travel. And she was like, oh, they lost me with this one because, you know, it's it's too weird. It's too science fiction-y. And I was like, okay, well, as long as you were on board with like, you know, immortal mad scientists and vampires and killer man babies <laughs> and lizard people, you know, but like time travel is too weird. Okay. <laughs> right now I'm reading the fifth one, which is called Brimstone, where I'm like halfway through it and it looks like the murderer might actually be Satan. And I'm really excited because in this series, it possibly could be. Oh my gosh. So yay. Also, I want to make a mention, because I know I keep mentioning these books, and this is so out of character for me, but in every single one of these books, they send in some dogs to go find out what's happening or to go chase the thing in the woods, and nothing good ever happens to the dogs. And for some reason, it doesn't bother me, as opposed to, like, a you know literary fiction where, like, it's the family pet or whatever. It's just, like, you have to know that everyone is destroyed equally in in this series. But I do want to give a heads up for people who... Because several people have been like, oh, I want to read those books you're talking about. I do want to let you know that like nothing good happens to the dogs in these books. <laughs> or the people, or anyone else in general. But I just love them. So that is it for us today. Thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to our awesome audio editor, Jen Zink. You can drop us a line at allthebooks at bookriot.com. You can find us online. Patricia hangs out. On Twitter and Instagram at the info file. That's T H E I N F O P H I L E. I mostly hang out on Instagram at Friends and Comes Alive. And if you want to give us a treat, you can go to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating or review. It helps other book lovers to find us. And thank you, thank you, thank you to all of you who have already done that. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time, but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And for more recs or general bookishness, check out bookriot.com. And don't forget to check out our full stable of podcasts at bookriot.com listen, or just search Book Riot on your podcast player of choice. And in the meantime, happy, happy reading. reading.